Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fantastic Minute, the show where we talk about Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox, one minute at a time. My name is Tyler Boudreau. And I am Condra Boudreau. And we're the Amateur Nerds. Today, we're going to be talking about Minute 35 of Fantastic Mr. Fox, which begins with Felicity still scolding Mr. Fox from last minute, and it ends with Bean asking to play with trucks. So let's finish up the conversation we were having last week and see how this really cruxing minute or cruxing scene progresses and then we'll do the bean the bogus bunsen bean stuff yeah so if you remember last episode i gave a tease about why would i lie and that's because in this minute felicity is really just like asking mr fox like hey you promised you wouldn't steal chickens again and now you're here and you stole chickens again like why did you lie to me and fox replies because i'm a wild animal and Felicity, we're, we're, I'm just going to like go over the, the, the whole sense of the, the whole conversation and then we can just kind of talk about it as a whole. And then Felicity's like, well, that's not good enough for me. And then he's like, well, I'm trying to tell you the truth. And then she says, no, that's like, like, I don't care. This, this whole thing is too predictable. And Fox says, if it's predictable, how does it end? And she says, it ends with, with all of us dying unless you change. And then she walks away. So do you buy his his statement that he lied because he's a wild animal? I don't. I think I'm also biased to not want to believe Mr. Fox most of the time. Um, I mean, I think that's an important part of his character development over the course of the film is that you really don't like him at the beginning and then he you grow to appreciate and understand him. I don't think I ever truly like Mr. Fox, but I get a better understanding of him. Or maybe I do. I don't know. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, but I think him using the excuse wild animal is such a frustrating cop-out. It would be one of those things it's like, well, boys are just boys kind of thing. Like, it's one of those that I get really frustrated by. And I'm like, why is this an excuse? This is a terrible excuse. This is like, mm-hmm. this is the worst, basically. That I really, I don't agree with. And I think Mr. Fox was entirely aware. of Like, he planned it. He drew maps, and <laughs> and like it, it doesn't make sense. I I see where you're coming from, and I appreciate your ideas and your opinions. <laughs> I the way I see it is that Mr. Fox isn't necessarily lying, but he's not necessarily telling the whole like t- he's he's telling the truth. But the truth he's telling isn't necessarily correct. Does that make sense? Like he's being then it's lying. No, like, no, he's being honest with himself. He's being honest, but he's not. He hasn't like his brain just hasn't figured out that there's more to it. Okay. Like he's he's not. He hasn't had a, like the realization yet. He hasn't broken the mold. So he's he thinks he's telling the truth, and he is being honest, but. It's not the whole story. So he says it's because I'm being a wild animal. And we had this conversation earlier about, like, if we're in this world with anthropomorphized animals, are they still inherently being true to their animal instincts by doing chicken stealing? And I think there is an argument to be made that, yeah, Mr. Fox is still, like, naturally inclined to want to kill chickens. And I think him acting out on that isn't necessarily 
the most unrealistic thing. It's still not good for his family because he's putting them in danger. But I, I think he's being honest that like the reason he did this is because he's a wild animal. And maybe the further truth is that he needs to be able to learn to control himself or he needs to realize that his family is more important. But right now, the reason he did it is because he's a wild animal. But the further truth is that there's something more out there that's causing him to not be able to control that. Yeah, I definitely, I, I see where you're saying, and I definitely, I see that element, and I think that's where Felicity's follow-up statement, but you're also a husband and a father. I don't think he he remembers those labels all the time. He, yeah, like, he wants he's, to be the quote-unquote he, He's so focused on self, and yeah, he, he forgets that he has additional labels in, in the way that, like, a lot of times, like, folks forget that, like, they're people first and then they're everything else after Mr. Fox only sees himself as that, yeah. that, that one so label first. She says the story's predictable and that in the end they're all going to die unless he changes, which I guess is true. This is the kind of, like, emotional beat that you would see in a Pixar movie where for an adult watching, you're like, okay, this is, like, a pretty mm-hmm. standard, like... They're kind of just saying what's going to happen. Like, okay, yeah, Mr. Fox has to change, and then he's going to change and realize he's a father. But that doesn't make it for kids. It still holds up for kids and adults. That's why it's like a Pixar movie. It's This is for everyone. Yeah, and, but I think the way she does, the way that line delivery happens with the how is this story going to, it's a very fourth wall breaking kind of, it's still, in, instead of being a very Pixar-y, like, children's prescriptive kind of way, it's still got that Wes Anderson flair to it that's like, yeah, I'm going to take this little jab and, like, have the folks that are aware be aware, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm poking at the fourth wall here and, like, commenting on how the typical story structure works. And that's not to say this doesn't necessarily follow a typical story structure path. It's just saying, like, it has some self-awareness to it. And then I think that's something Wes Anderson... He does that more visually than, like, exposition What Like, it comes out less often in that in that very, like, exposition manner. But he does have some, like, oh, yeah, this, this is the trope kind of thing. Like, I'm thinking in Rushmore when, um, I can't remember their names or anything. Max. That kids walk. Yeah, Max is walking down the hallway, like, after his, like, big rebellion kind of thing. And, like, the music's playing. You see it visually, like, a, oh, this is, like, the big kind of moment. I know what I want to, like, I know what I'm thinking of. I just don't know how to work, like, verbalize it. Um, but I think it does have this, it it definitely does have a Pixar beat to it, like, that take her to the moon for me kind of thing, mm-hmm. or, like, from inside out, that there is some closure. It, it, it's not necessarily a closure, but it is sort of a, it's a pin in the moment that something is going to change from here. There's a, there's a universal depth to it that even though this is a very standard story arc that adults may have seen before, like, it still holds true because Wes Anderson elevates the story, which is good. And I also think this is the moment, really, where the story, ve- or this kind of scene is where the story veers off from Roald Dahl's mm-hmm. book. Yes. And it gives that emotional depth that the book really doesn't have as powerful as as fun and enjoyable as the book is it does not have this gravitas that this scene yeah holds. the book the book revels in fantastic mr fox being a, like a trickster hero and it's okay to have a trickster storyline 
Yeah, and he's a wild animal through and through kind of thing. There's no evolution in that regard. So this this idea of a wild animal is rule doll's depiction. But I like the idea of taking like this trickster character and then being like, no, you have responsibilities. It's like it's like if Bugs Bunny was like, no, Bugs, you're a father now. Like you need to be serious. And I think, I think that- that's what happened in the Goofy movie. <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic, Mr. Fox. Really, just an updated version of the Goofy movie. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure there's a Goofy movie minute. Really? I was listening to. Oh, now. I was listening to some podcast this week, and someone mentioned Goofy movie minute. Amazing. I don't remember this, so we'll have to. But if you're interested, check out moviesbyminute.com. Is it movie by movies by minutes or movies by minute? It might. It might be minutes. Okay, I'm not I always sure get confused with that. So what I wanted to say, you were saying how it's visually visually appealing. I do think there's some truth to that because I think looking at the fox's faces in this minute, there's a lot of emotion there. They're crying and their emotions are very well expressed and they're not always in this movie. But here, mm-hmm. here they really went the extra mile and you can see it in their faces that there's there's acting going on in these clay faces. And it's not yeah. it's not Coraline where she like frowns or smiles like there's depth there's complicated emotions going on here yeah you see those multiple emotions all at once kind of thing in not a clunky way like we were talking like several minutes ago about Felicity when uh, she was reacting to Ash's comment about Christofferson and like you saw like each face was a kind of a different like second you you saw how they animated that and this it's like i wonder how they did it just because there's so much going on like did they mocap like that would be like my first instinct it was like they had to have motion capped this because like the how else do you get like 12 emotions like the crying the anger the like absolute despair the panic like there's just all of these and just her one face in this one second and it's like how yeah and i also the the die unless you change that line really just like it stands out to me in a way i can't quite express or comprehend in any way because it is it's such a simple factor and like such a simple like she says it with such like forwardness and like yeah if if you don't change we're gonna die and that's like something they've been they've been talking about the last several minutes it's like I'll kill the children over my dead body. You'd be dead too. Like, Felicity knows what the problem is, who the problem is, what needs to happen. And she just keeps repeating it until Mr. Fox gets it through his thick skull that he is the problem. Mm-hmm. And it just I just think it's a, it's a powerful but simple line. I don't think... There's, like, other minutes we've chatted about that, like... Things have been a little clunky and exposition-y and that kind of stuff. And I uh, this 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 minute just has so much weight, and I have so much respect for like this minute and this scene that it just is like, no, this is kind of like the perfect scene for me. Yeah, this is definitely a scene that's grown in my appreciation by doing this format. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is we I haven't talked about music for a while. But there is a beautiful score in the background that does make it onto the soundtrack. Um, it's called Un Petit Il. It was composed by, I'm going to butcher this, George Del- Delarue. 
um, who is a really famous French composer, and he scored over 350 movies throughout the course of his career, his last movie being in the 19, in 1992, and just this absolutely prolific composer. And the funny thing is, when I'm, so like, I was looking up this song before recording the minute, oh, it's sorry, it translates into A Little Island, which we'll talk, I have a couple ideas in a minute about that. But I was trying to do some research on like, what this was composed for and that kind of stuff. And I cannot find anything, which is really interesting to think about then. It, or I found like an album, but it seemed kind of like a compilation-y kind of album as opposed to like, ah, oh, yes, it was scored for this movie kind of thing, which then raised the question why Dupla is a fantastic scorer. Like he's a composer. He's won Academy Awards. He's so good. Why would he take this one little piece? It's not like he he doesn't take other works throughout the film. We've talked about the Beach Boys and that kind of stuff too, and tons of Burl Lives. But those all have lyrics and are very different. But this emotional score and for this scene that we've been as we've been chatting about has so much emotional weight. Why would he choose to not score this scene and instead use someone else's? Well, that this could have been more of a directorial decision to be like hey i wanted to use this part this like this track that i like i'm familiar with for this scene like i think that will sound really good there or the music director made that choice because that's a job too might have been beyond de pla and i'm thinking of in rushmore there are like pop songs on the soundtrack but then there's also like jazz songs and those are those are on the sound i guess those are pop songs too because they're not composed by mark mothersbaugh in rushmore but like Wes Anderson has an understanding of like when to use pop songs with lyrics and when to use score and then st- the stuff in between. So I'm just saying like this moment is where he's using something in between. And it might have been like a lost track that Delarue like never actually put into a movie. And then Wes Anderson like dug it up. That's but uh, yeah, little what was your theory on Little Island? And then we can move on. So a little island, I think, as a title in this moment is very interesting because they have carved their own space or they have entered a space that is carved. So like this idea of this intimacy and like a little island that they are alone. And in this moment, in the terms of the story, like Mr. Fox is alone on his own little island right now. And just there's implications behind the title that I don't know if are intentional, but I'm reading into it a lot of like, yeah, this is transferable to like 40 different angles if you think about it. And I just, I, I, I wonder if that has something to do with it too. Like just this, the naming of it. And I mean, the, the music matches perfectly to the moment. Yeah. From an art analysis perspective, if the title has meaning to you, then it's valid whether or not it was intentional. Okay. Let's move on to, uh, we cut to Bogus Buns and Bean digging under the tree to try to find the foxes. And there's a very cool shot of, like, the tree still standing, and they just carved a hole, like, into the side of the tree, like, into the, into the side of the hill under the tree. So it's then like someone just, took, like, like, Cookie Monster took a bite out of a cookie kind of shape, yeah. for those of you that aren't can't remember the moment. Um, it's, it's very comical. 
And then we see Bogus just sitting in like a little chair that like he's too he's big. He's standing for. in front of it, and then he just sits down on it, and it's it, yeah that size thing we've been chatting about with them. It's it's really funny that they keep overplaying this this size comedy. Mm-hmm. And then Bean picks up a little a little lightning painting that Fel- Felicity painted and just like looks at it and then hands it to Bogus. It's a visual gag of like oh yeah, there's a size difference going on here. So like. A regular one of Felicity's paintings is just like three inches wide when we realize it's regular people. And something um, that I thought about, especially for Bogus in this moment, is he's sitting in a, a fox chair. He's holding the painting and he's looking at it so intently. I'm like, he is spiritually connecting to the foxes right now. How much does he want to do this anymore? I think he like, still wants is he to having do it. a moment? I mean, I still think he wants to do it, but, like, he has this moment of, like, he could potentially be having this moment of, wow, these are pretty cool creatures. There's and, no, like, there's we'll no... never know because Bogus doesn't, does has no character, characterization throughout the film. Well, I think what it's saying is may, they had the chance to realize that the foxes are people, too, and they totally ignored it. Because they're racist. Or Whoa. speciest. Animalist? Speciest. Animalist? Okay. And then you also have Bunce, uh, like, just so it's all three of them. Yeah, he's just eating a donut. And I'm like, live your best life, Bunce, clearly. And so, yeah, basically, Bean just calls on the radio to over to PD because they're going to keep digging. And he asks for a Mighty Max, a Junior Spitfire, and a Long Range Tornado 375 Turbo, which are presumably diggers and trucks meant for digging more into the the ground tractors whatever do you want to analyze the names in relation to who bean points out as he, so he points to bogus when he asks for the mighty max he mm-hmm. asks he points to bunts for the junior spitfire and then presumably the um the long range torna- the tornado 375 turbo is for himself yeah do we want to kind of chat about like that for a minute i think the only thing that's funny to me here is the junior spitfire because it kind of implies that they like made a little like truck for kids (laughs) yeah and then also like and obviously being having the best one yeah yeah being just being extra per the norm being is so extra oh god but it's it's a funny little it's a very intense break like them shifting to this is a very intense break from the emotional weight of the last scene. Yeah, we did get a little bit of silence after Felicity walked away. There was just kind of like a shot of Mr. Fox just like standing there, taking it, taking it in. And then we cut, and then we see the establishing shot of the tree, and then we see like the painting, and then it's not until Mr. Bean calls over that there's like more dialogue. So you do have a time, some time to sit on it. Yeah. But it also is still, like, the fact that that's the first thing you hear after, it, it is enough of a, it, there's enough of a pause, but there is, it's that, that scene just, I know we've just been talking about it so much, so I'm not going to go back to it, but, like, it's heavy. And just, like, thinking about what they are and who we all are and what defines us. Speaking of that, let's end the episode. <laughs> Or I have an emotional breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this has been minute 35. I think we got some good analysis going. 
I want to thank everyone for listening so far. Uh, you've been doing great. You're doing great work for listening. It's it's hard. Keep to, it up. It's yeah. Keep it up. We'll we'll come back with minute thirty six. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Amateur Nerds is the show handle, and my handle is at Tyler Booty T Y L E R B O U D Y. You can email us at amateurnerdspresent at gmail.com. Condra, anything to add before we scoot? Rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, or some of the other things that you don't have to pay for. Yeah, and we'll catch you next time. I've been Tyler Boudreau. I've been Condra. And we hope you have a fantastic day. Fantastic.